0: You're listening to your public radio station, KUAF 91.3. And this is Ozarks at Large for Monday, May 9th, 2022. I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith.
1: And I'm Timothy Dennis. Ahead on today's show, we hear about a summit aimed at kickstarting economic growth in the heartland a preview of this week's Heartland Summit in Bentonville ahead in about seven minutes. And later on this edition of Ozarks at Large, Daniel Caruth will sit down with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History for our weekly trip into the Pryor Center archives and more.
0: But first, in the latest episode of Natural Election, a production of KUAF and Ozarks at Large, we hear about primaries. And with primaries, you have a lot of candidates. How do you get them all straight? And how do these politicians make sure that you recognize their name when you go to the polls? Ozarks at Largest Matthew Moore spoke to a few folks who helped these candidates get their names out there in a big way.
2: It's hard to drive a block or two without seeing some political yard signs this time of year. The names and pictures of the candidates are important, but behind every yard sign is a company making sure they get printed.
3: Yeah, my name's Corey Simmons, the company's Sign Planet, and I've been in Fayetteville, well, pretty much my whole life, but this company's been here since, uh, been a long time. I don't know. I can't tell you that. Uh, been in this building for four years, so.
2: Simmons and the folks at Sign Planet make just about any kind of sign you can imagine. And when your life is signs, it's hard not to notice them.
3: Yeah, no, I look at signs everywhere I go, I can't stop looking at signs. It's ridiculous. It doesn't matter where I go or what I'm doing. I always look at the sign and either critique it on it being great or critique it on it being bad.
2: So what makes a good political yard sign? Wendy Jones of Arcom Plus, another print company in Fayetteville, says it's one thing.
4: More than anything, it's the name, the name recognition. Like I said, you see that over and over and over again. And it's it kind of sticks there
5: in your brain.
2: Blanca Maldonado works for Amp Sign and Banner, based in Bentonville, and she says most of their yard sign business comes from local campaigns. She says their numbers aren't extravagant, but they're consistent.
5: Like eight of them on a political year. It's hyper-local. It's a lot of Bentonville city council members and state reps in the district, in Bentonville district.
2: So what does the process look like when it comes to making a new sign? Well, for Simmons, it involves a really big piece of machinery. This is interesting. Can you describe, like, what the machine is doing here?
3: Yeah, so, uh, this is
2: a, uh, latex printer. The process works like this. Imagine a home printer. Okay, well, this one's about five feet tall and eight feet wide. It prints the graphic on the sign just like a normal printer does. And once it's on the sign, it goes a little further down the machine where the ink gets cured onto the sign at a temperature of about 200 degrees. That heat pushes the ink one layer deeper into the substrate of the plastic sign. One of the consistent problems these printers have with making yard signs, low-resolution graphics. Here's Maldonado again.
5: So like on your screen... You see an image and don't realize that it's as small as a stamp. And then when we blow it up to make it, a yard sign is going to be really fuzzy. So we have to go through the educational process of like, hey, we need this to be crisp or do you need us to... We have like templates we can use instead.
2: Back at Sign Planet, the sign coming off the printer was a prime example of this.
3: So it looks
5: bad on the computer,
3: it's gonna look worse on the outcome because the sign's a lot bigger than your computer screen.
2: So as I'm looking at this sign coming out right here, it looks a little pixelated, it's probably too small of a
3: resolution for a sign this big. What would you do to fix something like that? Well, normally we would completely redo the artwork and then take a better picture of an actual camera, not a phone. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, these, these candidates don't really, they don't wanna A, generally, pay the money to get their artwork redone who knows who's doing it's probably a volunteer someone gave did it for free and then uh you know they're on the road so driving down the road at 30 40 50 miles an hour 60 you'll never you'll never it'll look great from a farther distance you'll never even know that it was pixelated
2: this sounds like a lot of trouble right high resolution graphics huge printers takes a while what's the upside here well they're actually pretty cheap and they're very effective. Here's Wendy Jones again from Arcom Plus.
5: Really, it is. I mean, but it's a cheap, cheap form of advertisement. That if you strategically place your signs where it's high traffic areas, that you are embedding that in people's, you know, back there in in their their brain, and it's kind of subliminal type advertising. I think
2: the goal, according to Wendy, is to have the kind of signage. That makes you go
5: Oh yeah, I I remember that person and you vote for them.
2: Now, these folks have seen an awful lot of signs in their life. So if they were running for office, what would their signs look like? Here's Maldonado.
5: I would go like neon green Mm. and black letters. Grab your attention.
2: Yeah.
5: Or I would look like, I would, I would probably, around here, everybody's riding bicycles. I'm like, let me see what the trail signs look like. Everyone's looking at those.
2: Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Like a bright yeah, yellow. Like,
5: yeah. Yeah. You know how they have, like, that's what I would do. I would go yellow, black text, always contrast. Make sure my name is big and bold.
2: We may be closing in on the primary election for now, but Simmons and his crew at Sign Planet are still spitting out sign after sign.
3: We just got an order this morning for a thousand 18 by 24 double-sided signs so and, and of course artwork still they want them next week artwork's still not done. I won't get the artwork for probably at least two days so it's just a you know it's just it's a rush to the you know it's just always a rush.
2: For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore.
1: And Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore produced that story as part of Natural Election, a new podcast from KUAF that you can listen to on all major podcast platforms. New episodes premiere each Tuesday, meaning a new episode is less than 24 hours away. And early voting in Arkansas for the preferential primary election begins today. We have a list of early voting locations, sample ballots, and more in your county at our website. To find it, just visit KUAF.com vote. This week, a meeting in Benville called Heartland Summit is intended to
0: help strengthen the narrative connected to the middle of the country and, in the process, give a boost to the economic growth in the country's middle. Last week, Ozarks at Largest Kyle Kellams talked with Angie Cooper, the Executive Director of Heartland Summit and Chief Program Officer of the presenting organization, Heartland Forward.
6: The Heartland Summit was created in 2018 with the true mission about how do we help change the narrative about the middle of the country and kickstart economic growth? We bring together key policymakers, entrepreneurs and economic development officials uh, and innovators and founders and investors really to talk about the bold actions, to drive action, to pursue solutions of how do we strengthen the Heartlands economy?
7: It sounds like this is kind of twofold. There's an internal conversation, those of us who are in the heartland talking with each other, but also this idea that, well, let's face it, there are some narratives about the heartland that people on the outside of the heartland might subscribe to that aren't necessarily the, you know, the full truth.
6: Absolutely. The heartland is at the epicenter of many of of America's biggest challenges, yet the heartland is also a storehouse of tremendous American potential. There are so many great stories of things that are happening in the heartland as as it's um, from businesses growing, entrepreneurs growing, um, successful communities with a great quality of life and cost of living. Uh, So really the summit is to bring people together to talk about opportunities and to drive change. And, And as our mission, how do we help change the narrative about the middle of the country and kickstart economic growth we got to bring people from the heartland together along with people from the coast together to talk about these things um and and we're strong believers at, at heartland um summit and heartland forward that the middle of the country needs the coast just as the coast needs the middle of the country so that's what we're trying to accomplish at the summit next week and all the work that we do through Heartland Forward.
7: There are a couple of uh, public events connected to this. The first one is a screening of an HBO documentary that will include um, conversation with a couple of people who I think will be very interesting. That's James and Deborah Fallows.
6: Correct. So the event uh, for the Our Towns documentary screening is free and open to the public. It will happen at the momentary on May 11th at 3 p.m. Our Towns is an HBO documentary. It's based on the best selling book by James and Deborah Fellows, co founders of the Our Towns Civic Organization. Uh, It will be a screening of a few clips of real life stories about uh, positive impacts and things happening in the middle of the country and across the country. We will have live open discussion with the experts, James and Deborah Fellows, along with Michael Zakaris, who is with Ashoka and a contributing writer at Forbes. Uh, He, uh, Michael specifically cultivates community of change and leaders who transform institutions and culture. So it's going to be a great event. Again, it's going to happen on May 11th at 3 p.m. You can follow uh, the Heartland Forward um, social post and um, find out how to register and get that link. So you can go to Instagram Heartland For, at Heartland Forward to access the link. To, we do ask you to register, but it is free to the public.
7: And the next night, something a little bit different.
6: Yes, a fun, amazing public concert showcasing Britney Spears and Old Crow Medicine Show. It is a must-attend event, I will tell you, Kyle. Um, And we're so excited to have them on stage at the Momentary Green in partnership and presented by Heartland Summit and the Momentary. That concert is uh, on May 12th at 7.30. You can go to... Uh, the momentary.org to purchase tickets. Like I said, it'll be a really fun event. Um, those of you that know um, Old Crow Medicine Show and Britney Spencer, they're two-time Grammy Award winning stream band Old Crow and vocal powerhouse Britney Spencer. So hope folks can come out and join us uh, on May 12th at seven thirty for the concert.
7: Yeah, that's Britney Spencer. The first time you mentioned it was Britney Spears, which would be interesting. Old Crow Medicine (laughs) Show and Britney Spears.
6: I I apologize. That was a big mistake. No, Britney Spencer. Right.
7: Um, What do you, you know, when when it's over and and all of the events have taken place, what do you hope you come away with?
6: Yeah, so with the Heartland Summit, like I said, it kicked off in 2018 with the mission to... Changing the narrative and kickstart economic growth. Since 2018, we have created what we call Heartland Forward. Heartland Forward is a policy think-and-do tank with that exact mission. And we have done some great work across the country, um, both from I like to say, the think side of the house, uh, creating reports, talking about reshoring, economic development, economic recovery post-COVID, where entrepreneurs are growing in the heartland and what more we can do to modernize economic development. I have the pleasure of leading our flagship event, the Heartland Summit, as well as the do side of Heartland Forward, our think and do tank. And we've been out in communities really with roll up your sleeves type of program and work to be a resource for communities. Um, we've done a lot of work around entrepreneurship, uh, along with how do we help um, connect the Heartland to high-speed internet access through connecting the Heartland so post summit, Heartland Forward, we will continue that work. Um, we we believe that in the power of convening and bringing people together to see not just what's happening in the Heartland, the amazing things happening here in Bentonville that all of us in Northwest Arkansas are so proud of, but really after the summit, we'll continue to get to work. Um, and And what's great about some of the stories, um, from, from past events and past summits is, you know, we have entrepreneurs that attended that met an investor and that investor came, became their second round of um, investing and in their companies now scaling and growing in the heartland. So that's what we're all about. We're again, extremely excited to showcase um, what's happening here in Northwest Arkansas for, for our friends. Uh, coming from out of town and um, hope our local residents uh, have the opportunity to atten- attend our towns in the public concert.
0: Angie Cooper is the executive director of Heartland Summit and the chief program officer of Heartland Forward. She spoke with Ozarks at Largest Kyle Kellums about this week's Heartland Summit in Bentonville and the adjacent events open to the public.
8: The Momentary presents two-time Grammy Award-winning Old Crow Medicine Show with rising country star Brittany Spencer May 12th in Bentonville. TheMomentary.org
1: for tickets and information. This is Ozarks at Large. Most abortions in Arkansas could immediately become illegal if Roe v. Wade is overturned by the Supreme Court. Last week on Arkansas PBS, Karen Ricketts, president of the Arkansas Coalition for Reproductive Justice, said a trigger law passed in Arkansas in 2019 would ban nearly all abortions if the decision in the leaked Supreme Court draft is upheld by the justices.
6: Currently, abortion is still legal in Arkansas, but if this draft were to be the final say from the Supreme Court, um, abortion in Arkansas would no longer be available and there would be no exceptions for rape or incest.
0: Jerry Cox, president of the conservative organization Arkansas Family Council, favors the restrictions in what could become the state's abortion law.
9: We don't punish children for the crimes of their fathers. We just don't do that anywhere in our society. And yet that's what it's, it, it's the equivalent of if you put an unborn child to death because of the, the circumstances under which it was
3: conceived.
0: The draft of the Supreme Court opinion on Roe v. Wade leaked last week does not represent the court's final opinion, which should be delivered through a final ruling after deliberations during the next two months.
1: Saturday was the semiannual square-to-square bike ride, with residents starting in Fayetteville and ending their ride in Bentonville. At the halfway halt in downtown Springdale, newly appointed Razorback Greenway manager Tristan Hill was set up to promote new branding for the 40-plus mile trail. Hill says the main objective of the rebrand was giving the trail a unified identity.
9: Because it runs through seven cities, and previously the seven cities just kind of had their own jurisdiction over their own sections of the trail. So the cities just kind of maintained everything, and that was about it.
0: Representatives from each of the cities the Greenway passes through now work together collectively as a part of the Razorback Greenway Alliance. The new logo is a green G made up of seven lines to represent the seven cities the trail passes through.
1: Hill says the new logo is just the start of rebranding efforts. Later this year, updated signage, mile markers, and other improvements will be implemented to make the trail simpler to follow.
9: So now that we have more resources and more opportunity, we're going to go back and we're just going to straighten some things up and clean up some low spots where there might be flooding, just all sorts of general maintenance things to make it more convenient, more accessible for people to get around.
10: This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas has been good to me always. I had... Places to play in Arkansas before I left Memphis when I had no other place to go.
9: This is Ozarks at Large, and that was blues great B.B. King talking about his Arkansas connection in a 2005 interview with KATV's Randy Dixon, who's now with David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History, and who now joins me in the Karen News Studio. Thanks so for having be, me, Dan. Yeah, good to see you. Good yeah. uh, to have you here. And we're talking about B.B. King because we're talking about the blues in Arkansas today. Why are we talking about
11: the blues? Well, first of all, I want to bring up something yeah. <laughs> in full disclosure. Please. We're related.
9: We are. By marriage. Sort, sort of. of. Yeah.
11: Well, <laughs> okay. I, I asked Shannon, my wife, uh-huh. how we were related. And <laughs> we are first cousins. Yeah. First removed. Uh-huh. In law. So yeah, that it's very, out. very. It's loose. like the most
9: Arkansas thing. Uh, sure, I could, <laughs> could yeah. Bring up, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Here with my uh, my cousin, neighbor cousin. We yeah. also live in the same neighborhood. That's true. It's a real uh, connection today. Yeah. I'll try and be. My uh, knowledge is not quite as encyclopedic as Kyle's is about all things Arkansas. Oh, you're gonna be great. So I'll try to. Um, so we're gonna to be add. doing this for four weeks now. Four right? weeks. Yeah. Okay. We'll be, you so feel free to riff, have fun. Okay, I'm out, looking forward. to He it. won't know. It's not like this is being recorded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
11: he won't. He won't check out on it. Yeah, he's
9: us. not checking in. Yeah.
11: All right. So the blues. Yeah,
9: we're talking about the blues. Uh,
11: we have an exhibit that's just gone up in the prior Center building, which is up here on the square in Fayetteville, and it's sponsored by the Music Educational uh, Initiative. And, um, well, to explain what it is, uh, I talked to Orson Weems, who's the executive director and co-founder, and he sort of explains uh, about this exhibit. It's actually a blues shack. Uh They've reconstructed a shack inside our lobby, and it's made from cypress wood and tin from the actual Arkansas Delta and it has a porch on it, and it also has exhibits inside that people can walk through. And there'll be some performances. But here's Orson Weems to kind of explain what you'll see.
12: First, they're going to be surprised to see that it's actually something that they can uh, touch and, and walk through. It's uh it's not uh, a, a gigantic building, but it's enough of a structure. And we're going to have it decorated with uh, different posters from uh, different blues shows and things of that nature. Uh, we're going to have uh, pictures. We're going to have uh, interactions with. Uh, sometimes I think we may have a, a video where we may have it playing on a television and looping. Here's some blues music. But some of the things we're going to do for programming is to have some blues artists or artists perform. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be blues artists, but that's some of the things as for some authenticity and an experience that we'll have. That we'll have. Fingers and, and Gospels at some point will come through. You may have jazz because this came from the blues. You, you may just have R&B, a presentation. Then you also may have a lecturer. Some, some professor or a, or a scholar from the University of Arkansas or other universities may come in. And want to have a lecture to talk about something and we can do it in front with the backdrop.
9: And that was Orson Weems talking about the Juke Joint Exhibit open now at the Pryor Center in downtown Fayetteville. Uh, And one of the musicians who's going to play at the Shack uh, is Bobby Rush. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about Bobby?
11: Yeah, he's a a two-time Grammy Award winner, member of the Blues Hall of Fame, has a wild show. Uh, this one will probably be a little more laid back, but on May the 20th, he's going to be in the lobby. Uh, we'll be announcing how you can get tickets soon. It'll be on our website. We'll have a full schedule of events on the Prior Center website. But uh, along with playing here, he is a, a regular feature at the King B- King Biscuit Blues Festival right. in Helena. It's the first Weekend of October every year, and it's been around since 1986, but it's a big blues festival. I understand back in the early days that John F. Kennedy Jr. used to go, but it brings a lot of—Helena brings a lot of blues fans, uh, Elvis Costello, Jimmy Page— uh all kinds of of rockers that yeah. that appreciate the you know the home of the blues.
9: yeah, and I'm sure if uh, people are, are listeners of Paul Kelso's uh generic blue show on Friday nights. They have definitely heard uh, some sounds and some of the artists who've been at the King Biscuit right. the Blues Festival, because I know he covers that. Right. Uh,
11: well, and every year, at least for the last few years, Scott Lunsford from the Prior right. Center has gone down and conducted interviews. And uh, Bobby Rush was one of them a couple of years ago. And yeah. he asked him about uh,
13: the first guitar he ever owned that he actually tried to hide from his dad. So finally, my daddy told me, to say, hey, Junior. Yes, sir. He said, bring me that guitar. man, boy. Man, I was afraid because I didn't know you knew I had a guitar because your dad <laughs> knew everything. I brought it to him, and he tuned it up. I didn't know how to tune it up. He tuned it up. He said, boy, come here. I sit in front of him. He said, let me play a song I used to play for a little girl. While a little older than you. He rubbed my chin like this. Had his hat on, just came out the field. overalls on with no shirt grabbed the guitar, and he strung it, and tuned it up. I said, wow. He said, let me sing a song I used to sing for a little girl when I was a little older than you. Now I know he's going to sing about my mama. I'm thinking. He said, me and my gal went to chanky pin hunting. She fell down, and I saw something. I said, Daddy. Because I thought he was going to sing Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. <laughs> you know? I said, Daddy, singing again. Well, I didn't want... I I really didn't want him to sing it again. I wanted to go to the next verse. Now, I know she fell down. He saw something. I thought the next verse would tell me what he saw. <laughs> I said, Dad, sing it again.
9: That was Bobby Rush talking about the first guitar he ever owned. <laughs> and um, In the
11: song, he wanted to hear the rest
9: <laughs> of the lyrics. Yeah, a little bit. From his dad.
11: <laughs> and he never heard. That's probably for the best. Yeah, I think. probably so. <laughs> and, and his dad was a preacher. So.
9: Here's yeah, a, and a Pine Bluff uh, native, right? Yes, He's, uh, yes, Bluff. from Pine Bluff, uh, grew up in
11: Louisiana. But uh, why don't we listen to a little bit of his performance? This would be from the King Biscuit Blues Festival in 2018. No, I'm
13: crazy
14: about
13: you. I'm crazy about you, baby. I'm just crazy about you, baby. you. You don't care nothing in the world for me. You don't care nothing for me.
9: That's Bobby Rush performing at the King Biscuit Blues Festival in 2018. So we talked a little bit about the the King Biscuit Blues Festival that happens uh, every year in Helena mm-hmm. uh, in, in northeast Arkansas. Um, someone else who is going to be part of this exhibit and is also a, a feature of the, the festival. He's
11: a more contemporary yeah. uh, blues fella um, I knew from Little Rock okay. uh, for years and years. He grew up down there. He's now moved to Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is, you know, the self-proclaimed home of – Blues and rock and roll, but uh, Lucius Spiller um, is kind of on the younger side of the blues players. He's really good, really good guitar player, and uh, here he talks about the reason he played music.
10: Because it ain't about it ain't about the money. If it was about the money, I was go a long time ago. Yep. As so he go to three, that's my. Theory of it goes three levels of the plan. First, you know you, when you start out you plan to get you know, uh, to get the girls, You uh, move up to the next level. Right, you know the plan to make money, and, uh, and you move up to that third level. And it's plan and it ain't about the money. It's plan for your soul. You know, there's been times I went poor something. <laughs>
11: Okay, he can be seen a lot of times just sitting uh, on the sidewalk playing, and here he is on Cherry Street uh, in Helena in 2011, I believe. seems like these guys are always playing to impress girls.
9: Yeah, I, th- I think that seems to be a, a pretty standard theme. Yeah, I hear this. that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot from musicians. Especially these uh guitarists, a pretty masculine uh, kind of field, especially in music. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we've got somebody coming up. We've ta- heard from a lot of men. Uh, we've got a woman. Yeah, I really like this guitar player. Uh, her
11: name's Samantha Fish, and she's young, too. She's in her 20s, okay. and she's been playing since she was about 15 years old. And uh, Scott Lunsford, again, interviewed her within the last few years and talked to her about you know, being a female blues guitar player in what's primarily, wouldn't you say, known as yeah. a, a male-dominated uh, business.
15: When I was a kid... I kind of remember thinking, um, when I picked up a guitar, I was like, well, this is, you know, I thought, I kind of thought twice about it, like, I was like, this just isn't what girls do. I think it's our gender roles and what we play in society. Like, this, is, this goes back to a deeper rooted issue with women and our roles in society and what we can and can't do, and it's kind of ingrained in you from when you're a kid. Um, I remember kind of having that thought, because I'd never seen a lot, I hadn't seen a lot of women playing. I mean, of course... I hadn't discovered Bonnie, and I hadn't discovered all the great female guitarists, but the ones that were at the forefront seemed like it was a male-driven field, and it, it is. And it just, to me, I was like, this isn't what chicks, this isn't what girls do, you know. I don't know why, it didn't deter me, but I just remember thinking that. And thinking back now, it was only like 11 years ago. It's so weird, right? Yeah. It's weird. But that's, you know,
10: so it a has candid
15: a... thought from a 15-year-old in the so it it
9: hasn't changed you don't you don't feel it's changed that much in forty years since Bonnie Raitt was in your
11: position. It
15: has. It has. I mean I, I think it's becoming more apparent to people. I think there's more women out there who are you know doing things that are outside of what they believe their role to be. And you know, it's our job collectively, both genders, to to make room for it and to accept it.
9: That's Samantha Fish uh, talking with the prior center Scott Lunsford in 2015 well and let's let's just hear how well she can play Pretty good stuff, yeah. I, I think I think uh, she's definitely better than I am on the guitar,
11: we'll, we'll say that for sure. Yeah, or I will ever
9: be, yeah.
11: But speaking of great guitar players, you know, we heard it the first from BB King, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm real excited to. I, I just found this in the archives, but it was an interview I did with BB King back when I was with KTV back in 2005. He had played or was playing at the Riverfest Amphitheater in Little Rock, and we were able to get on the bus with him. And it was very timely in the fact that that very day, the Arkansas legislature uh, had drafted a resolution making, of all places, the town of Twist, Arkansas, a historic landmark and the reason was, B.B. Uh, King used to play, it was called the Chitlin Circuit, and it was all through the Delta, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Arkansas, and there was a little town called Twist, and they would always play there, and they'd play in one of these. It, it was a juke joint, like we're going to have set up in the prior Center, but it was a wooden shack, and during the winter, the way they would heat the place is out in the middle of the floor where everybody was dancing, they'd have the big iron uh, oil drum, you know, the big tall oil kerosene, drums yeah. filled with kerosene, and they'd just light it on fire, and that would keep the place warm. Uh, so let's let B.B. pick up the story with what happened to him in Twist, Arkansas.
10: That night everything was going along swell and two guys started fighting and one knocked the other one over on this container. When they did, it was it spilled on the floor. It was already burning. So when it spilled on the floor, it looked like a river of fire. And everybody started running for the front door, including B.B. King. See, during those days, little nightclub, guys would sneak in the back if you didn't have them nailed up, so they nailed it up. And the only way we'd get out was through the front door. But when I got on the outside, then I realized I'd left my guitar. And I went back for it. And when I did, the building was burning rapidly and it started to collapse around me. I almost lost my life trying to save my guitar. But the next morning, we found that these two guys that was fighting was fighting about a lady. I never did meet the lady, but I learned that the lady's name was Lucille. So I named my guitar Lucille to remind me never to do a thing like that again. And that's when it started, 1949.
9: All right, B.B. King talking to the prior centers, uh, Randy Dixon, or at that time you were working with KATV back right. in 2005.
11: And I actually got him to sign a copy of the resolution, and I can't find it. I oh, don't know.
9: Well, I'm going to tear up my All garage
11: right. and. Go through all the
9: boxes and find it. (laughs) And at that time, so did he know that that they were going to...
11: No, he was surprised. When I pulled it out to show it to him and to get him to sign it, he hadn't heard a word about it. (laughs) He thought it was great. So fortunately, I had an extra copy with me, and I gave it to him. Wow. And uh, he seemed to enjoy that.
9: Yeah, and did they ever find uh, the woman named Lucille that the fight was about? No, he never met her. Wow. But, you know... Every guitar
11: he had, even if he got a new guitar, he would name it Lucille.
9: So uh, remind us the uh, juke joint exhibit that's going up. It's open now. It
11: opened on Friday. Right. Uh, It'll be open uh, in the mornings, on the weekends, you know, during the farmer's market, uh, through business hours, Monday through Friday. If you want to come in, I think some classrooms We'll be taking tours and walking through. And uh, then there's Bobby Rush, who's going to do a show on May the 20th. We'll have information about tickets on our website, just Google Pryor Center.
9: Right, and that runs
11: through? It'll be in all month. So even into June, it'll be open to the public, and it's free.
9: All right, and that's Bobby Rush, who'll be... At the Juke Joint on May 20th at 8 p.m., we're going to hear a little bit of Bobby from the King Biscuit Blues Festival to play us out. Thanks for joining me, Randy. Thanks. I'll see you next week. All right.
13: you ever been mistreated by someone you showed up
14: love
13: have you ever been mistreated by someone you showed up love out of all the me men my woman could have left me for she left me for the garbage man If I ever get a back,
14: I'm
13: going to buy myself a garbage truck. If I ever get my woman to come back, I'm going to buy myself a garbage truck. When my garbage can't get full, I'm going to take it and drop it way away. away out in the woods. Thank
9: you. I love you.
13: Love you, too.
8: Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village. Northwest Arkansas Retirement Community, catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being. Amenities and living options, from apartments to village homes, plus on-site fitness facilities are available. org for information.
0: This is Ozarks at Large, and I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. For an artist and self-described storyteller, Holly Wilson's inspiration can strike at any moment and come from... Important in character-defining moments, or it can also stem from the smaller yet impactful moments of everyday life. I spoke with Wilson, who just visited Northwest Arkansas and finished a residency with The Momentary in late April, where she displayed intricate and powerful pieces throughout the month. I'm, I'm going to start off by asking a question that only a really a non-artist can ask. What are the techniques and what is the process like to build these pieces? I mean, bronze casting does not seem like... Something easy, easy to build, easy to create.
4: You know, it's funny. It it really is. I know it doesn't sound. It's labor and it's time, and that's I think the biggest thing. Uh, and I came to it through ceramics, my undergrad and my grad. One of my grad degrees is um, in clay, and I did figurative work. So I've done everything from you know three inch tall figures to ten foot tall figures. So scaling down to bronze. Um, which my figures on an average are probably uh, eight inches. They're complicated in that I do all the casting myself. So I do all the spruing, I make it in wax, I do all the spruing, I invest it, I cast it, I clean it up, I weld it, I patina, and then I do mounting. And what is the most about that is it's a physical demand on the body. And then it's a time demand because you may have the idea you know, months earlier, and sketch it out, and have this rough idea of where you're going. But it could take, you know, a year to see that piece all the way through. What is the
0: timeline like for these pieces? Oh,
4: timeline. Well, depends. Uh, if I have a show, it's a different timeline. And so things, I, I always laugh because uh, institutions or galleries, and I get why, but they they want to know an image and what are you making and what's coming. And there's sometimes you can go this is what I'm working on and this is what's coming. But I'm uh, if I'm doing an exhibition for uh, like a solo show, I never know what will come and rise to the top and be finished. And my husband laughs because it's normally the last hail Mary piece that you're like, why are you doing this? You're supposed to be driving out tomorrow and you're finishing something and you're not sleeping, but it's like the piece you just had to finish. And then it's normally the first piece that people are like, oh my gosh, I love that piece, uh, which cracks me up. But I don't have a timeline. One of
0: the pieces, Spectrums Within Under Our Skin, beautiful piece that's vibrant and detailed. What's the inspiration and the process behind those pieces?
4: I like material to have message, And there's a piece I did, a couple that are um, a view from within under the skin, and they're made of crayons. And so that connection is Literally, the connection that every kid in the United States has to have 24 boxes, uh, a box of 24 crayons for school. And so, and that piece was conceived over the idea of us trying to get crayons put together for class and, we and move schools. And they were talking about their friends and who they were going to miss. And some of them I didn't know. And then I'd be like, well, who is that kid? And they might go, well, she had like the really curly hair, you know. And then there was this one such they had sixth graders help like the pre-k and the kindergartners there was this tall thin lanky boy that used to sit with my daughter's group and he would open the ketchups and tell them stories and he was just the sweetest kid you know and but never that was how she described him she never went well he's the black kid and what i saw in the way they interacted is they saw the people for who they were and for what they did it's not that they're colorblind or they don't see color It was that that is not how they judged people. And so in that moment, literally having this engagement with them is where that concept came from. And so I made 12 girls with varying emotions and then they made, I made them in 24 colors. And so it was the idea that if you could imagine yourself as every color in a box of crayons, you would realize the only thing that that, makes us different is the pigment and then that piece really took off and i made it fairly fast but even in that the funny thing about those pieces is until i can understand in my head how it mounts or how it exhibits or how it will be displayed i actually won't begin the process so it was really frustrating because i had this whole thing but i could not figure out how to mount them to the wall because i wanted them to be solid crayon and um i finally figured out this pin system and then it was like okay full tilt boogie we're going you know, I had to make a little alteration halfway through, but that was the other thing about my pieces: is I won't. I have trays of wax figures behind me, and until I know all elements, I won't cast the work. Is there a format you prefer
0: working in, or is this creativity just exude wherever it's found?
4: You know, I don't. I I, don't, I can't answer that question. Um, I don't have a format. I am all about um, message. So. All the pieces I do always start with the story. And for me, that's like the premise initially. I'll see something on the side of the road. Like there was one day I was driving and it was the most odd thing. And I know I saw it wrong, I'm pretty sure. Or I saw something that didn't exist and it was like this half circle of these birds. And I'm sure they were crows or vultures, but the way they look, they look like a little group of people around whatever and it was just the most captivating thing so of course I pull over do a little sketch and then it made me think about this idea of gathering around you know someone that's passed or someone who's sick you know even the birds and obviously they were just having dinner together but it was just this wonderful image or you'll see um things in your own life like my kids doing certain activities they love when they were younger especially to dress up um, and make costumes so like a glove My son has this glove that has the skeleton hand on the back and he would fold it and then he would use this thing and make a mask that would go over his mouth and then goggles and they have weird head things on and then they'd have all these homemade weapons uh, from spears to, I don't even know. Um, And the the idea of looking at that then brought me to a piece that i had been wanting to work on while I was there. I kind of was able to flush it out further and it was this idea of, you know, the guns and the violence in our communities with our students and how they're having to deal with this on a daily basis. Um and so for me, it's a really powerful message once I figured all that out. And then it plays off the idea of nursery rhymes like hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, you know, but at the same time, they don't hear the cries of the kids, you know, they don't see the damage they're doing. And they don't speak the truth, and so for me, that's a real big thing that plays back into my work: is how do things in life affect the youth who is the future of our society and indigenous culture, anyone's culture altogether? What are we doing to promote that next that next thing for them? And right now, I don't see a whole bunch of awesomeness; I see a lot of damage going. So. Some of the pieces that I was working on was really addressing that in my own work. Um, And some of it was flushing those stories out. And with that, then I go, okay, well, what do I need? Um, I need to make a figure in clay or wax. I need to make a mound. And for me, I'm also, what really sparked that was watching them but then it was all the toys they get and all these toys are just full of little guns and knives and weapons. Like you get an action hero and you probably get 15 weapons with it, which is just kind of this weird disconnect between youth and fun and weapons on a mass amount. Um, So that was a big thing is looking at that when I'm working. And so for me, then I go, well, I need this material, or I need to use this, or I need to use that. And I feel like I'm not, a sculptor or a photographer or a painter, I'm a storyteller, I'm an artist, and I tell stories that somehow affect me. And though they're personal to me initially, they, I think there's a universality to how the stories affect multiple people because it's always about something very personal. And that's where I go. And then I go, oh, what material do I need? I need to learn this or I should gather that knowledge.
0: I spoke with artist Holly Wilson over Zoom last week.
2: The biomedical engineering discipline in itself is 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 really positioned very well because we're training our students uh, to develop uh, solutions with empathy and its core.
3: I think that's very important.
1: On the next episode of Points of Departure, Dr. Raj Rao, Professor and Department Head of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Arkansas, discusses a joint class he and host Rahelio Garcia Contreras developed that includes students here at the University of Arkansas and students in Bangalore, India. They explore how empathy and human-centered design can be used to tackle shared global challenges and to create cultural competency in students. That's on the next episode of Points of Departure, a podcast from Arkansas Global Changemakers, in coordination with KUAF Public Radio. You can listen for free at KUAF.com or subscribe anywhere you find your podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. Last week, the KUAF listening area saw enormous amounts of rainfall and localized flooding in many areas. Parts of Fayetteville received more than four inches of rainfall between Wednesday and Thursday. Some areas saw even more rainfall than that. That much rainfall led to overflowing creeks and streams, including at Gully Park. Here are just a few moments of what that flooding sounded like Thursday evening.
0: sound of spring flooding last week at Fayetteville's Gully Park. That sound was brought to us by Ozarks at-large's Daniel Cruz.
1: Mark at nine for the fifth-ranked fifth Razorback softball team. This weekend, the team clinched their ninth straight series with a 9-5 win yesterday against Texas A&M in College Station. The win helps the Razorbacks finish the regular season 41-9 overall and 19-5 in conference play. The Hogs also won all eight conference series throughout the season. The stellar season finish brings with it the program's first outright SEC title. Up next, the softball Razorbacks enter the SEC tournament in Gainesville, Florida, as the number one seed, and they next play Thursday night against the winner of a matchup between Georgia and Ole Miss. The Razorback baseball team
0: also won on the road this weekend. The fourth-ranked Diamond Hogs won yesterday at Auburn 7-4. The win helps Arkansas strengthen their lead in the SEC West with a two-game lead over LSU and Texas A&M. With six conference games left in the season, Arkansas returns to Baumwalker Stadium this weekend for its final home series for 2022 to face Vanderbilt.
8: National Astronomy Week events taking place throughout the Ozarks with the help of the Sugar Creek Astronomical Society. It's scratching the surface on KUAF Public Radio. I'm Pete Hartman. Astronomy Week runs through this Saturday, and the SCAS has set up some events throughout the week. Bill Murphy, president of the Sugar Creek Astronomical Society, says this year's theme is Big Astronomy with an event taking place this evening at the Bella Vista Library.
16: And we'll be talking about some of the large telescopes in the world, uh, like the Kick telescopes in Hawaii, as well as the Grand Telescope in uh, Spain, and also the newer large telescope in Chile. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll have activities, um, and we will have actually door prizes at uh, each of these events, too. Uh, we'll be giving away at least one do-it-yourself assemblable telescope. So we will have some door prizes at these various events too.
8: Events wrap up Saturday, May 14th at Hobbs State Park, a venue that the SCAS is very familiar with as they have held many sky watching events there.
16: This particular session, we will look at the moon a little bit more than we usually do. Uh, so the 15th is a full moon. So the 14th, we're going to have most of the moon visible and uh, we'll look at craters and we'll look at uh, uh, the, the like the Sea of Tranquility, and we'll get to see those in more detail than you would usually get to see with a small telescope or with the naked eye. I believe we'll have at least one setup where people that have a hard time looking through an eyepiece can see the surface of the moon in pretty good detail on either a computer screen or projected on a, on a larger screen. So um, if it's hard for you to look through an eyepiece, we'll have some other available uh, means on uh, Saturday, May 14th. We'll also do a program before it gets dark, so that's why we're starting at 7. And uh, we'll do a program again on on, uh, big telescopes of the world before uh, before the viewing, and then if it gets dark, we'll move on into the viewing.
8: Bill Murphy is president of the Sugar Creek Astronomical Society. For more on events this week, Ozark Stargazers on Facebook. Scratching the Surface is a production of KUAF Public Radio in Fayetteville a listener-supported service of the University of
1: Arkansas. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Cedarville. 91.3 FM KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Matthew Moore, Daniel Carruth, who produces his stories inside the Karen Taha News Studio, and Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Pete Hartman produces Scratching the Surface inside the Nancy Blair Operations Studio at KUAF. I'm Timothy Dennis. And I'm Rachel
0: Sanchez-Smith. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF your public radio station for more than 37 years. You can find full episodes of Ozarks at Large, as well as archived stories and interviews at our website, ozarksatlarge.com.
1: Our theme is titled The First Hurrah, and it's written and performed by Daryl Sean. You can still find him performing live most weekday afternoons on his Facebook page. We will be back tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. with another brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Until then, be well, take care of yourself, have a great Monday, and we'll talk again soon.